people turn with me in your NIV Bibles or find your bulletin insert that has our passage of Scripture printed upon it, found in the 8th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. We'll be reading one of a series of four miracles that Luke collects together here in the 8th chapter for us. It's the second miracle of the four uh, where Jesus drives out demons. So we'll begin to read at verse 26. We want to use this as a unison reading together and read through verse 39. Let's read the Word of God together. They sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, "'What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torture me.' For Jesus had commanded the evil spirit to come out of the man." Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, What is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged him repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into them, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people, how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, Return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. A man by the name of Dr. Tom Marshburn was the commencement speaker for the graduation ceremony at Erskine College this spring. He is a flight surgeon for NASA and has flown on the Space Shuttle Endeavor and spent more than two weeks in the International Space Station. 
And instead of giving a speech to graduates, he was basically talking about his experiences as an astronaut and what it's like to fly in space, what it's like to not feel the, the confinement of gravity. And he was talking about the beautiful sights that they could see of the earth as they made their orbits. Now, I've never flown in space, nor do I intend to do so. And I haven't had any experiences with a lack of gravity where I live. In other words, I can't really relate to what he was talking about. But just because I can't relate to it, does that mean that the descriptions that he was giving that day in his speech, are those wrong? Of course not. Just because we cannot relate to his experience, that in no way changes the truth of what he said. And I mention this because we read in this passage today in Luke 8 a story to which most of us cannot relate. Sometimes when we read a story like this of someone demon-possessed, we may be tempted to say that we don't talk like this anymore, and that Luke probably means, in our terminology, someone who was mentally ill. But just because you haven't known anyone who was possessed in your life, that doesn't change the truth of it. In one of the previous congregations I served, we had a young woman who was a member of that congregation, and I am in no way joking when I say that I believe she was possessed. I've seen mental illness in my time, but this personality was on a completely different level. She might call the church 20 times in a row. I've heard her make sounds that literally made the hairs on the back of my neck stand up. And most of the time, you and I don't experience folks like this because they're institutionalized, but this woman lived at home with her parents. And whenever she would get on one of her binges and would be screaming or calling the church time after time after time after time about the only thing that would make her change was the name Jesus Christ. If you brought up Jesus in the conversation, almost always she would change what she was doing. She didn't want to have anything to do with Jesus Christ. Now that's sort of what we see in our text today, isn't it? This demon-possessed man, he doesn't want to have anything to do with Jesus Christ. I beg you, don't torture me, he says to Jesus. And Luke tells us this response was made in this way because Jesus had commanded the evil spirit to come out of the man. And so the issue, or the first issue that we have at hand in this story is evil. You know, this is one of the things that this miracle story is designed to teach you and me is to tell us that evil is here as if we don't know that. And we see the results of evil at work in the world all around us with the devastation 
and destruction. What are you and I to do about evil? I say you and I because this story, along with the other three miracles grouped with it, are all taking place with Jesus and His disciples. You see, if we step back far enough to get the big picture, we know that Jesus and His disciples are away from the crowds. They're going across the Sea of Galilee. And a great storm arises. And the disciples fear for their lives, and then Jesus calms the wind and the sea. One of the results of living in a fallen world is a creation that is also out of kilter because of sin. And just like we see terrible storms that take life in our day and time, that same issue was true of those who lived during the New Testament time. Then following this miracle, we have the story that we just read of Jesus healing this demon-possessed man. Immediately following that, we have the story of Jesus healing the woman with the flow of blood. You remember she was like an invalid. For 12 years she'd had this problem, which meant in her society that she could not interact with people. She was, for all intents and purposes, like a leper. That's why I call her an invalid. And then following that miracle, we have the story of Jesus raising to life Jairus' daughter. In other words, four different miracles that represent the work of Jesus Christ in the face of evil. Evil in nature, with demons, with disease, and finally death. And that brings us to the end of chapter 8. And guess what the opening verses of chapter 9 are all about? Jesus calling the twelve together and giving them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases, to heal, and to preach the kingdom of God, the exact thing that the church is to be doing. So Luke is trying to say something to you and me as the church of Jesus Christ and how we deal with evil in the world around us. This rapid-fire succession of these four needs and challenges because of evil help us to see that this will always be a part of our world until the Lord returns. If Jesus had to deal with evil, if He had to suffer because of the effects of evil, then surely the same will be true for us. This is why Peter writes in the fourth chapter of his first letter, Since, therefore, Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same thought. You know, if Jesus suffered this way, you're going to be called to suffer this way, Peter says. And he goes on to say, Let those who suffer according to God's will do right and entrust their souls to a faithful Creator. You see, Peter can talk this way because Jesus did himself. In the very next chapter here in Luke's gospel, the ninth chapter, is where we see Jesus say, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his what? Cross daily, Luke says. Take up his cross daily and follow me. This cross 
we take up daily this emblem of suffering and shame, as the hymn calls it, is something that's a part of our world. We voluntarily take it upon ourselves because Jesus was willing to do so and set that example for us. Evil is everywhere around us. And the suffering that comes from such a world. So within a matter of hours, Jesus forces His disciples to confront a storm, a demon-possessed man, an invalid, and a dead little girl. In a manner of speaking, He's saying, though you enjoy the good news of the kingdom of God, though I'll be calling you to proclaim that good news of the kingdom of God, you still live in a world where evil is rampant. How will you face it? How will you face it when you see the effects of devastation all around you? That's what the pigs are doing in this story. They're illustrating the effects of evil, the devastation, the destruction that can take place because of Satan and his work. So we can see that the bad news is in this story that evil brings devastation and destruction. It brings suffering and death into our world, into our lives on a consistent basis. We all know that. It's bad news just like we read in the newspaper, just like we see online, just like we see on our televisions each and every day. But the good news is that Jesus always overcomes evil. And that's the second thing we need to notice. If the first is that evil is in the world and the effects of evil all around us, the good news is that Jesus overcomes evil. Just look at the changed nature of this demon-possessed man. Before being met by Jesus, the picture that we're given of him is one of utter despair. We're told for a long time this man had not worn clothes nor lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs, in a cemetery. Though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and been driven into solitary places, driven like a wild animal because of the demons that possessed him. He was a madman living naked in a cemetery. No one could control him. No one could keep him chained down even though they had tried again and again. He was totally out of reality. And then Jesus comes and heals him. And we read, when all these onlookers came to see what had happened, when they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. You see, Luke is making sure that we understand the kind of power, awesome power, that Jesus has at his disposal. In the story before this, the disciples are in awe of what they have just experienced because He calmed the storm. They're saying to themselves, Who is this? Even the wind and the sea obey Him. What kind of power is that? That's only God-given power. 
Then following our story, the woman with the flow of blood is healed. But how is she healed? Do you remember? It's not like she goes up to Jesus and begs Him, please. You know, she wouldn't say anything. This was a terrible disease she had in that society and in that day and time she couldn't talk about it. She was ostracized from society. She comes up and just barely touches the hem of his garment. And she's healed just like that. Jesus knows, in fact, that power has gone out from him. And then afterward, Jesus raises a dead child simply by taking her by the hand. Rise up, child. That's the kind of power Jesus Christ has. And her parents were amazed, and I'm sure they were. The question is, do we have that same response? Do we see and understand that Jesus still has that same kind of tremendous power at work in our world and our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit? As he reminds us in John 15, he says, Apart from me, you can do nothing. That's how powerful he is and how weak we are. Apart from him, we can do nothing in this world with all of the evil that's around us. And so how often do we look to Him for help? It must be every day because as He reminds us at the end of John 16, in the world you have tribulation. You have the effects of evil when you're in the world, but be of good cheer for I have overcome the world. Jesus is the one who has overcome the world with all of its evil, with all of its consequences of sin. Just like God in the story of Joseph, He brings good out of evil over and over again. He'll always be right there with us in the troubles we face. So what if it's tribulation or distress or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. In Romans, Paul says it's precisely because Jesus has been raised from the dead and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty where He always intercedes for us. It's precisely because of that good news that in all these things, famine, nakedness, peril, sword, anything the world throws at us, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who's loved us. We're overcomers. So Jesus always overcomes evil. Just as He overcame death and the grave, and He allows and enables His people to be overcomers as well. And since that's true, that leads us to the third point that we need to notice in light of this text. And that is, what are we to do since we've experienced this wonderful power at work in our own world and in our lives? In our passage, we're able to see two very different responses. We see it in the people who came out to look, rubberneckers we would call them, on the highway and we see a very different response in the man that was healed. Well, the first is from the people of that area who knew this man as 
as Fred Craddock puts it in his commentary, we see here a community that to some extent learns to live with demonic forces, isolating and partially controlling them, but now the power of God for good comes to their community and it disturbs a way of life they had come to accept. How many times do we accept and learn to live with the demonic? That's a very important question. How many times do we learn to accept and learn to live with the effects of sin and evil? You see, whenever we do that, it despiritualizes us. It makes us hard, spiritually speaking. And we see that in these folks. Instead of recognizing that God was doing a great work in their midst, they saw only a manifestation of power and were blind to the glory of God. In fact, if we really think about it, they refused to praise God for the fact that a man is healed and instead count the cost and find it too great. We lost too much money in all those pork bellies that went over the cliff. This country preacher demands too much. I mean, if our lives changed this much in just one day, what might happen in a week or, God forbid, a year? And we constantly see this response from people we know in our lives, in our spheres of influence. We see people that we know and love say, Go away, Jesus. I don't want to have anything to do with you. Like these Gerasenes, they are incapable of seeing and seizing the opportunity before them. But of course, the second type response is the one we see from the man who had been delivered. He begged to, to go with Jesus to let him travel with Jesus wherever he was going and, and be a part of his traveling entourage and disciples. But Jesus sent him away saying, Return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town all that Jesus did for him. And there are two things to notice in that exchange. And the first is the most obvious this man experienced a dramatic, I mean a terribly dramatic change in his life and he was willing to tell people about it. And if we just think about it, the same is true for us. If God, through the power of His Holy Spirit, has infused your heart and saved you from your sins by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, then you've experienced a radical healing. Your life has changed in a wonderful way and, and you want to tell people about that. You used to be out of your mind. You used to be a slave to sin and a slave to the ways of the world and now you belong to God. You're one of His children and if a child, then an heir with His living hope encouraging you all through your life both in good times as well as the bad times. That's what we see this man doing. 
But also notice what Jesus is doing. Will Willeman makes the point that, you know, we're used to seeing Jesus heal people. We know Him as the compassionate Son of God. And so when He heals this man, we sort of half expect Jesus to say something like, you know, you've had a terrible life. You've been out here living naked among dead people. You don't have any friends. You don't have a job. You know, go back home and start living your life. Today is the first day of the rest of your life. We sort of half expect Jesus will say something like that. And Willeman says that uh, this is Jesus, not Dr. Phil, we're talking about. Jesus says to the man, you go back home and you preach. You declare. You do what I'm trying to do today, the same word that's translated in Acts 16 as proclaim the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You go back and tell what I have done for you in your life, what the power of God has done for you in the work that you just experienced. Do you understand what that means? That means that Jesus doesn't just heal us. He's not only in the business of repairing broken hearts and bodies. I mean, that's what we want whenever we're ill. Please, doctor, just make me better. Don't make me have any lifestyle changes or any modifications. You know, just I just want to be better the way that I am. But that's not what Jesus does. He heals us and then calls us in the same moment. That's what we see a picture of here. Not only a wonderful healing, but a calling at the same time. You go and proclaim. You go and tell. Your life and my life is just like this man in our text. We too have been healed. If we're saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, we have been healed. And we probably heard the same words. You go home and tell others what I have done for you. Did you hear the call? And if so, what are you doing about it? Let's pray together. Dear Father, we confess that many times we have to see or hear bad news to know what good news really is. And we thank you for this picture of both bad news and good news in Luke 8 a picture that we see in your scripture over and over again. Like we see in Genesis 3. Like we see in the book of Revelation. Like we see so clearly in Romans 
where the bad news is talked about in the early chapters, how we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, how we refuse to see your eternal power and deity because of the sin that clouds our vision. And yet even in the midst of all of this destruction, of all of these consequences of evil, we have the good news of your love and mercy unto us in the gift of Jesus. That because we've been justified by faith in Jesus Christ, we have peace with you. And we thank you for that good news today. For we know that we see in our world every day the effects of evil all around us. But we're thankful that you have overcome the ultimate evil in Jesus Christ and his resurrection from the dead and his vanquishing of the power of death in the grave. and that you continue to enable us to be overcomers, more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Dear Father, I think our problem is that we don't understand the nature of the beast from which we've been saved. that perhaps that's why we fail to tell others. Because we really don't know what a wonderful God you are. And we fail to understand your love for us. A self-sacrificing love. An unconditional love a love that is patient and kind, one that is not selfish, one that is not rude, one that keeps no record of wrongs. We're thankful for your love unto us in Jesus Christ and for your watchfulness over us all of our days for the work of your Holy Spirit that has saved us. And we pray that you would create within our hearts the desire, the zeal to tell others what you have done for us in Christ. We thank you for the way that the Appalachia team will be doing that on our behalf this week. Pray your continued blessings upon them. That your love will be evident in the way in which they treat others and treat each other. And that your love will be evident in the words that they say. 
And we thank you for your blessing upon them. We're also mindful today, dear Father, of those who have health concerns. We continue to pray for your healing power for all those who are ill. We especially uh, remember those who will be having surgeries this week, uh, Don Harper and Leonard Williams. We pray that those surgeries will be uh, successful and effective and pray for quick healing for them. And we know there are probably other needs of which we're unaware and we continue to pray for all of those people who have needs with relationships, with family dynamics, needs with employment or a need to change jobs or having uh, trouble with making decisions. We pray for your wisdom, for your strength, for your power to be at work in all of these and more. And we're thankful for the way that you continue to be our refuge and our strength all of our days and always a very present help. We continue to pray for our leaders, for our nation, our community, our state. And we pray that your wisdom will prevail as decisions are made for your creation. We pray for safety for those in the armed forces, for those who help to keep us safe. And we continue to pray for the lost, for those who do not know you. We pray for our missionaries and their safety and protection. We continue to pray for the homeless. And we're thankful for those who work so diligently uh, to help those in need in our community through all the various ministry organizations, including Family Promise. We pray your blessing upon the family or families that will be with us this week. Pray that they might soon be able to return to their own home. And as always, dear Father, we thank you for your grace and mercy unto us in Jesus. We know it's undeserved. And we thank you for the way in which you are such a giving God spiritually and physically, emotionally, in so many different ways. And we thank you for the good that you will help us experience this day. We continue to pray for all those traveling, for safe traveling mercies. And we pray that you'll bring us back again to your house and to your worship. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. We do want to reaffirm our faith using the words of the Apostles' Creed. Let's stand together. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried, he descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty.
From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Our hymn of praise is number 379. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you His peace, both now and forevermore. Amen. Amen.